good to see you this morning in our time of worship together. Um, if you have a Bible or some form of that, electronically or whatever, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be there, there today. We've been looking at the book of John in the life of the church for the last several weeks. Uh, the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us the story of Jesus. It talks about him from his birth all the way through to his uh, death and resurrection. And it actually talks a little bit about that afterwards. We're actually in the next couple of weeks after Easter. going to spend a couple more weeks looking at the last chapter of John, chapter, last part of chapter 20 and chapter 21, which talks about some events that happened right after, right after the Easter story. So today we'll be looking, though, at the, the whole the event of the, of the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, how many of you are readers? How many of you would say that you read a lot, okay? How many of you like to read biographies? I like to read biographies, okay? Some of, if you read biographies like I do, I'd read biographies fairly regularly of people, learn a lot from their lives. If this were an ordinary biography, if the Gospel of John were an ordinary biography, there would be no chapter 20. Because every biography I've ever read, except for this one, always ends with the death and usually the burial of the person that the biography is written about. And so, you know, this, this is a different deal, though, because it, it proves in a sense that, that we notice that, uh, that John uh, continues his account with the resurrection miracle, and, and in a sense it's the proof of the, that Jesus Christ is not like any other man. The, resur- the resurrection, as we talk about it every Easter, and it's some, something we talk about regularly in the life of the church, is not only an essential part of the, of the gospel, uh, the gospel message, but it's the center of the Christian faith. Without this, we have no hope. And this is the, what we're going to be talking about today. And what I want to talk about today in a real sense, too, is that we're going to look at how this event, this, this resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is this an important event, but it's not an event that simply is something we push aside and just talk about once a year, but it's something that affects our life every day that we live if we trust in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about what that means today. And the Gospel of John in particular, and in this Gospel, and to, and to understand the whole thing of the story of Jesus, you really need to, to read all four Gospels, because there's bits and pieces, it's kind of like four different eyewitness accounts, and each one has some different things they talk about, but particularly the, the John, the, uh, in the Gospel of John, he talks about a lot about the appearances of Jesus after, after he was uh, resurrected. And so this morning we're going to look at one of those appearances and talk about that, he first appeared, it says, in John chapter 20, to Mary Magdalene. So let's begin to read through this, and as we read through the Scripture, I'm going to talk about and explain some of the things there and how it applies to our life every day. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And some translations said, rolled away. Now, two or three things here that's important. It says, early on the first day of the week, that means basically sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. She was an early riser, okay? Because she was going there for a purpose. The purpose was to finish the burial preparations that had not been completed the night before because of the rush that had happened. Uh, it says that she went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, when we think of that, we talk about the stone being rolled away. The Greek word here literally doesn't mean rolled away. It means tossed aside. It's a little more violent than just, you know, just, oh, gently rolled away. It's tossed aside. And now, when that stone was thrown aside, it was thrown aside for a specific reason. And sometimes I think we have the wrong impression of why it was thrown aside. It was not thrown aside so that Jesus could get out. You know how I know that and how you can know that? Because of what Scripture says about Jesus after the resurrection. 
Jesus in his resurrected body, it says he went through his grave clothes. The clothes were still lying there as if he just disappeared out of the grave clothes. It says later on, it says as he appeared, he appeared in a room without the door opening. Now, I don't know, don't know if it was, you know, like the Star, Star Trek, you know, and on the Enterprise, and they, they beamed him there or something, you know. I don't know if it worked that way. You know, I think it would be really cool. Um, but the reality is we don't, he didn't have to have the stone rolled away for him to get out. So why did they roll the stone away? Why did they throw the stone aside? Well, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let us in, to let the disciples in to experience something, to experience something that was hugely important so that they could see that the tomb was empty. That's the distinctive of Christianity, an empty tomb. You can go to, to you can take any other world religion and go to the tomb of the leader of that world religion, whether it be uh, Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad, and their tombs aren't empty. There is a body, a probably the decayed body, in those tombs. There's a person buried there. The distinctive of Christianity is this. The awesome distinction of Christianity is that we worship a Jesus Christ, a Savior, who left an empty tomb behind him. We worship a Jesus who's alive. It's not just a philosophy. It's, it's, it's about a person. So after that verse, in verse 2, it's, it continues long, and it says this. It says, after um, Mary had gone to the tomb, it says, She came running to Simon Peter. After she saw this, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. We're going like, well, why do they name him? Well, who wrote the Gospel of John? It's a real hard question. John. Okay, John. They named it out. Matthew was written by Matthew. Luke was written by Luke. Mark was written by Mark. And John was written by John. Okay, that's kind of how it works. You kind of name the book after yourself. That's kind of that the deal in Scripture. John wrote this. And the other disciple here is John. That's what, who it is. And why didn't say, well, and me, I don't know. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And this is kind of interesting. The one Jesus loved. You wrote that about yourself? You know, it's kind of like shows the first hint of a little bit of pride in John. The cool thing about Scripture is this. It doesn't sugarcoat the people. It doesn't make them sound like they were like supermen and superwomen. It makes them sh see them in all their frailties and all their, their issues and the problems they had. It was, it was really interesting there. So it says, so the one who loved, and he said, and, uh, and said, uh, Mary says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now this is interesting. Because... Mary goes to the tomb, sees that it's empty. She runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the disciple Jesus loved, the disciple who never used his own name. And it's incredible to realize that Mary's first response to the resurrection wasn't hope. Now, we've studied over the last, if you've been here with us over the last several weeks, we've studied Jesus' last words to his disciples in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And if you, study, if, you look, if you studied even before that looked at Scripture at all, you know that Jesus several times talked about the fact that he was going to die upon a cross, that he was going to be buried, and he was going to rise again, be resurrected. But Mary didn't come to the tomb with that expectation. She came to the tomb to do the final burial uh, things that they needed to do in that day. She thought some kind of tragedy had occurred. It wasn't. She didn't come with joy. She probably thought that either the Romans had come and taken him out of the tomb, just like they made fun of him before he died. 
so they thought they were playing with their minds now, or somebody else, grave robbers had come, because sometimes in those days when people were buried in tombs, they were buried with some other stuff, and people would rob the tomb and, and, and desecrate the bodies and take the stuff out of there and whatever, you know, and we're going like, why would anybody do stuff like that? Well, you know, it even happens in Illinois. Do you know, in 1876, uh, a gang of Chicago counterfeiters yeah, it's from Chicago, right? Uh, a gang of Chicago counterfeiters attempt, attempt, attempted to snatch Abraham Lincoln's body from his tomb. If you know history. Um, which was protected, it says, by just a single padlock um, in Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, Illinois. Their scheme was to hold the corpse for a ransom of $200,000 and obtain the release of the gang's best counterfeiter from prison. Good news was this, though. The Secret Service agents had already infiltrated the gang and knew what was going on. They were lying in wait to disrupt the operation. And after this happened, after this actually happened, a historical fact, Lincoln's body was quickly removed to an unmarked grave and eventually encased in a steel cage entombed under 10 feet of concrete. I don't think they're going to get him now, okay? But that people do it even today. You know, the thing is, and this was, you know, here in this state, you know, a while ago, Mary thought that somebody had come and taken Jesus' body. She did not think. Her first thought was not, oh, Jesus has risen because he did what he said he was going to do. And it's confusing for us to think about that. But the shocking truth is, our first response to the resurrection is usually not hope either. When people hear about it, they have unbelief. But often it's confusion or doubt or fear. I mean, in Scripture, if you look at the people, for Mary, it was confusion. She was confused. What's going on here? Where's the body of my Lord for Thomas, which we'll look at next week? Thomas, guess what his, what his problem was? It was doubt that this really happened. For the other disciples in the upper room, it was fear. They were fearful that something was going to happen to them as well. And so the first time we hear the truth of the resurrection, the first time you try to apply the truth of the resurrection to a specific area of your life, you haven't applied it before, the first response generally is not hope. It's more often confusion. How does this fit in with me? I mean, what is the story all about? Or, or, or doubt. I don't know if this, if this power will work in my life. Or even fear. I'm afraid what this might do in my life. So the story here continues along because if you look at John chapter 20, verse 3, John and Peter, after they hear this, this message from, from Mary, what do they do? They run to the tomb. They run to the tomb. And it's interesting how it's account, the account here. And the interesting thing about this, when this account was written, it was probably, it's a first-person account because John's the one that wrote it, and he was one of the two guys that Mary was talking to, and he's one of the two guys that run to the tomb. And it's a first-person account, but he writes it about 50 years after this happened. But it almost seems like it was happening just then when he writes it. So this is what he says. I love this. He says, uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Who was the other disciple again? John, okay? Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, how important is that to the whole story? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that before? I was reading that the other day and I go like, Peter, I mean, John, 50 years after the fact, you're still prideful and you're still talking about how you're faster than Peter was. I can win the race. Doesn't sound like a bunch of guys getting together. You're a bunch of kids. My dad's bigger than yours. You know, whatever, you know. It was kind of ridiculous here when you read that, but he said that. That's what he said. Um, and then it says in, in verse 5, he says, so the guy that ran first, John, reached the tomb first. He says, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
But this tells us something about the character of the two guys. He didn't go in. He kind of, he was the fastest guy, but he didn't go in. It says, verse 6, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Uh, the cool thing about scripture, you see all the personalities. I mean, Peter was the kind of guy that, you know, he probably leaped before he looked every time in life. And sometimes he got himself in trouble, many, many times. And so it's what he did. And so it's kind of like, John, get out of the way. You might be faster than me, but I'm bolder than you, and I will go into the tomb. And so that's what he did. He goes into the tomb. He looks at everything that's happened there. The next part of the verse, he says, this is what it says. He saw the strips, this is Peter, saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. Meaning it looked like it was like, okay, stuff's laying there like it was with wrapped around, and all of a sudden there's no body though. How did that happen? Because some way God caused Jesus to just come right out of that. It was still there. That's why he didn't need the stone rolled away. That's what it was talking about there. Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, John, why doesn't he say it, who had reached the tomb first, Says it again, you know, he's going like, okay, if you didn't get it the first time, I'll tell you again, you know, who, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. But then he says this about himself. He says, he saw and believed. Now, verse 9 is kind of a commentary on this. It says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, I want to talk about a little bit this morning just three things that we can learn that, about the resurrection that applies, that comes out of the Scripture that, that helps us to apply this to our lives. That the resurrection is not just about an event that happened that's important for us, but it's about an event that happened that's important for us to change who we are and the way we think about God and the way we follow God. So the first thing is this. How do we see the res- resurrection as part of our everyday lives? Number one, most of us, not most of us, all of us, we need evidence for our minds. We need evidence for our minds. If you go back in these verses right before I just read, in three different, three different words in these verses are used for seeing in this passage. Three different Greek words are used for seeing. The original, the original scripture was in, in Greek, in, in Koine Greek, it's common Greek of that day, or Aramaic, one of the two. And there's three different words here. Now, when it's translated in English, we lose kind of some of the translation but this is important because in verse 5, in verse 5, it says, it says about Peter, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, no, John, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. When he looked and he saw the strips of linen, all that means, the Greek, uh, the Greek word there simply means to glance or to look in. It's just simply kind of a common word of glancing at something, looking at something. And then in verse 6, in verse 6, when it says, Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tr- tomb, it says he saw the strips of linen lying there. That's a different word. It sounds like the same word of seeing, but it's not the same word. That word means to look carefully, to observe. It's mean not more than just glancing. It's look, really looking intently. And then in verse 8, it's really another different Greek word is used when it says that finally the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. It says he saw... And believed. It's a progression here from glancing to looking, uh, to looking more intently. And then finally, verse 8, the word there means to perceive with intelligent comprehension, to, to understand, to apply it in a real sense. See, the, the point is this. What it's talking about here is this. God wants us to get it. 
He wants us to understand who he is and why it's important about the resurrection. He wants us to, to get it. He wants us to see it. God wants us to see how the, our lives can be changed. And, and, and part of that is the evidence he wants to show us. I've talked to many people over the years about faith, and sometimes I talk to people about faith, and especially people who are, uh, who very, you know, all of us have this struggle, but people who are very rational, uh, a lot of you guys are engineers, you know, here. There's a lot of engineers at Great Oaks, because that's your mindset. You work for cats, places like that. And most engineers are very rational-minded type people. And so you need evidence about things. And some people I've talked to over years think that faith means, if you have faith, it means you stop thinking. It's like, like you become a Christian and your brain falls out or something like that. You know, that's kind of the deal. But that's not the truth because the, the reality is Christians need to be very thinking people, very thinking people. It is true that you cannot come to faith simply by reason alone. It's not true that there's no evidence for our faith. There is evidence for our faith. There are a number of strong evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all, did you know outside of Scripture there's a historical record that Jesus did really live upon this earth? He really did die, and he, was, and he appeared to people later? There is historical records about that. Secondly, another proof is the proof in the, in the change in the life of the disciples. As I shared with you, the thing is, as we've studied the disciples' lives, these guys were incredibly flawed people. They weren't super people. Jesus picked these guys. I'm not really sure he would have picked them <laughs> if, if, if he picked them just for qualifications. But the reality is he picked these guys to follow him, and they're incredibly flawed. That You wouldn't see them as leaders. But following the resurrection, following the power of the resurrection, the reality is, and the thing that's true about it, is that, the thing that's true about it is that they, their lives were changed. Peter, who had this problem of impulsiveness, became the primary leader in the church and became a strong leader. God took him and molded him and changed him, and it changed after the resurrection. A third proof about, uh, uh, about the resurrection and about the power of it is, the, is uh, really from history is also, it's about the silence of Jesus' enemies. If you'd have been an enemy of Jesus Christ, and his followers had said, hey, he died, and he raised, or was risen again, how would you go about disproving it? Or would you care? Yeah, you would care. And all you'd do is go out and try to find the body and try to find you know, a body and show it to everybody so you would prove to them that he really was dead, but he couldn't find a body. And there was no evidence anywhere, no one says anything about it in history, in a historical fact, that they could do it. His enemies were silent after the resurrection. And fourth, the fourth evidence that the resurrection is important and true is that is the, is, is about changed lives today. It's looking at what Jesus does in our lives today. I cannot tell you how many times over the last 12, almost 13 years that I've been here at Great Oaks, just here in this community, and I've gotten to know a lot of you guys and where, and where you were and where you are now. It's, God's changed, done miraculous things in many of your lives. Uh, one of the things we're going to do this year at Great Oaks is we're going to try to videotape a lot of the testimonies, a lot of the stories that people have of changed lives and, and share those with you because I think it's the most powerful evidence of God really at work in this community and around this world. Some people will say, though, that, well, doesn't other religions change lives? You know, you get in a discussion with somebody, and they'll say, well, I believe in this Eastern mysticism philosophy, and uh, it's changed my life just like your belief in Jesus Christ. What's the difference? The difference 
is the empty tomb. The difference is we have a reality behind our faith, not just a philosophy. For John, that evidence was very powerful. Whatever it was, what Jesus had said to him had sunk in. And when he went into the tomb and he saw what was there, the Bible says he believed. And it wasn't just a, just a shallow belief. It was a deep belief that changed who he was. So, we need evidence for our minds. That's the first step. But that's not all there is. And that's not all the story has to say because the second part of the the story says this. We also need something else. We need answers for our heart. We need answers for our heart. We need connections in in a real sense. I I don't know about you guys, but uh, most of you, some some of you here know, those of you who come to church regularly know that I'm not from here originally. And the rest of you figured it out already because you're going like, this guy doesn't talk like everybody else from Illinois. Because I'm not from Illinois. I'm from Virginia. Where Virginia is for lovers. You know that? That's what, that's what our motto is in the state of Virginia. I don't know why that's the strangest motto I've ever heard. But anyway, it's a really cool one. But anyway, I'm from Virginia, so that's why I talk the way I do, you know? And um, so when I go back home to Virginia and visit, which we do three, two or three times a year, and I get into Salem, Virginia, where I grew up in the school, in the area where I was there, and I grew up there from my early childhood all the way up through high school and beyond even, I continually run into people. You've ever run into somebody, I'll be walking down the street somewhere in Salem, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden I'll, I'll, I'll look at somebody, and they'll look at me, and they're going like, and then they'll, you're, and then we'll start having a conversation. Ever had that happen to you? And there'll be somebody, I'll come to find out, somebody I went to high school with, and I'm going like, they'll look at each, we'll look at each other, because we really don't recognize each other, because it's been a long time since I've been in high school. I graduated in 1972, by the way. Okay, you can figure that out. It's a long time since I've been in high school. And we'll look at each other, and, you know, and they'll go like, aren't you? Yeah, aren't you? Because, we, you know, we look so much alike now. I mean, you know, I, I used to have hair, and, and, and you know, and, and I was, you know, younger and looked different. And, and I, I never spoke back when I was in high school either. I was the quietest person you've ever met. So they didn't, can't believe I can speak now. And, you know, all those things are going on. But so you have this kind of this recognition of who you are, and I'll talk to them and find out what's going on with them. You don't have this recognition. Well, in Scripture here, that kind of recognition, that kind of unexpected recognition is nothing compared to the recognition scene that happens in Scripture here in the middle of John. Because Mary, when she goes to the tomb, uh, she has no reason at that point in her mind to believe that she's going to encounter Jesus. She believes she's going to go to an empty tomb, or to a tomb that's with a body in it, in some way get the stone out of the way, and she's going to help uh, finish some burial preparations. That's her thoughts. And there's this incredible thing that, about this scene that Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first, but look what happens in John 20.10. It says, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They, they went, Peter and John went there, uh, saw what was going on, believed, and then went back to where they were staying. And in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the uh, the other at the foot. And and they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And she says, They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying who, are, who is it you're looking for? 
Now, when I look at this passage and, and I see this and, Jesus, and Mary encounters Jesus, I ask the question, why didn't she recognize him? I mean, if you had somebody you had followed around and had been, one of your, had been to your house and been a friend and, and you saw him, wouldn't you, wouldn't you recognize him? I think there's two reasons here why Mary didn't recognize him. Number one was her tears. She was so anguished over stuff going on. She was weeping so much, she, she probably could not even see straight. But more importantly, I think it was her focus, her focus. She couldn't see Jesus because she was focused more on the tomb that was in front of her than Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who was right behind her. It says she was looking into the tomb. She wasn't looking for somebody else. And so when Jesus comes up behind her and he's standing right there ready to give her hope, um, she doesn't see him at first. She doesn't recognize him at first. See, the empty tomb is a great thing, but it's the resurrected Lord that's really important. That's who we worship. We don't worship a tomb. We don't, we don't worship a place. We, we worship the living, living Lord. And anytime we allow ourselves to focus more on some tradition or some place or some ritual and we get our eyes off of the resurrected Lord, we start to lose hope. It's inevitable. So Mary, because of her tears, because of her focus, didn't see him. She didn't recognize him at first. And that can happen to us too. We can go through a tough time in life and we can be a, even be a follower of Christ and we don't see God in God's presence because our focus is off of God. We, we're focused on our grief or we're focused on our pain or we're focused on something else. And so what it is that happens, just like Mary, we cannot even recognize that God's in the room. But do you know what Scripture says to us about his presence? It says he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's a promise from God. He's there even when we don't see him. So back off of Mary, okay? Give Mary a break here. So Jesus asked her two questions to help her find the answers her heart needed. He says, first of all, why are you crying? And, Mary's, and the reason Mary's crying is why? Because Mary thinks her dreams are dead. She says, some, and, and, and she's really at wit's end. And some of you might be there right now. Sometimes you may come here today to church. Somebody invited you to church. And the reason you came is because you're going like, you know, I don't have anything else. I don't, I've turned, tried everything else. And I don't know where else to go. You may be right there where Mary was. Thank you, your dreams are dead. Or the support that you've been depending on in your life crumbles from beneath you. You know, and, and if that's where you are, you know exactly the kind of feeling she was having. And he also asked her the second question, whom are you seeking? The Savior knew, Jesus knew that Mary's heart was broken and her mind was confused. But he didn't rebuke her and, he, he, and tenderly he revealed himself to her. And he did it in the most simple way possible. Because he knew something that we all need to know. Not only do we need evidence for our minds, not only do we need something to touch our hearts from God as well, but we also need a relationship for our soul. Because all he had to do was speak her name, and Mary immediately recognized him. Verse 15b. Thinking he was the gardener, Mary turned to him, she said, Sir, if you carry, have carried him away, tell me where you've put him so I can go get him. Now, obviously, she was not thinking straight. Because what is she going to do with Jesus when she finds him? She can't go carry him somewhere. But that's what she says. But Jesus looks, says to her one word. What is that one word? Mary. He speaks 
her name. And it says, immediately she turned to, toward him, that's what it means in the Greek, immediately she turns toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized who he was immediately. All it took was that clue, that, that, the speaking of his name. Here's the question for us that comes out of this. Who do we mistake Jesus for? Who do we, who do we, why do we not see Jesus in our midst? If you're a follower of Christ and you're going through a struggle, or you're even going through good stuff, why don't you see, why don't you recognize Jesus? See, we laugh at Mary and say, how could she have missed it? Why do we, who did she mistake Jesus for? She mistaken for a gardener. She couldn't see Jesus because of her tears, but also because she was looking in the wrong place. See, the resurrection, the resurrection moves from being a historical event to being a personal event when we hear Jesus speak our name. And you're going like, Bill, have you heard Jesus speak your name? Not audibly. But what I mean by that is this. If you have heard Jesus speak your name, that's really cool. I'm not saying Jesus can't do that, okay? He did it in Scripture. He might could do it again. But the reality is, when we have a personal relationship with him, we become aware of the presence. See, it's not enough just to have evidence. It's not enough just to have our emotions tugged at. What we need to have, Jesus says, to make the resurrection really act in our life and act out in a regular way is a relationship. A relation. The reason, let me tell you this, the reason you study this if you study God's Word, read God's Word, it's not just for information. It's not so you can quote Scripture, even though that's important to know. The reason we study God's Word, the Bible, is because it tells us how to have a relationship with God. It's about knowing God more. And so when we do that, that's what he's talking about here. When he says the word Mary, it's, it says, hey, I'm renewing our relationship. You're, you're forgiven for not trusting in what I said, not remembering what I've said. Mary, the follower of Jesus Christ, goes to the empty tomb, and within minutes, Jesus is calling her name. And when you and I face a tragedy or circumstances in our life, when we need the Lord, and within moments, if you will just focus upon him, what, it, what he will do is he will make his presence in your life real. Been there, done that. In the last couple of verses, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Two things here. Number one, some of us will go like, well, Jesus says, don't touch me. And then later on, just a little bit while later, the next day, he says to Thomas, touch me. What's the deal here? What he's kind of saying to her is this. He says, don't cling to me. That's kind of what it really says. Don't cling to me because I have a purpose for you other than just hanging out here. Go and tell the disciples, everybody else, about what I've told you. That's more important than you saying and clinging to me right now. I mean, that's our first response when we discover that somebody is, is safe, is to cling to them, right? But the reality is what Jesus is saying to her. He's saying to her, he says, hey, I've got a purpose for you. When we, when we have a relationship with Christ, it's not just so we can be safe and warm. It's so that we can have a purpose in our life, a purpose bigger than ourselves. 
And then there's something else in this verse that's really interesting, and sometimes we can miss it if we don't understand the, the totality of what Scripture is talking about. In verse 17, Jesus calls his disciples something he's never called them before. What does he call them in verse 17? He calls them brothers. Brothers. You're going like, what's the big deal? He's never called them that before. He's called them friends. He's called them other things. It's really cool to be a friend of Jesus. But the reality is he calls them brothers for the first time here. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the power of the resurrection means you and I are adopted into God's family. It means we have that potential. And that's great news because when he says, go tell my brothers that I'm returning to my father and your father and my God and your God, see, it's talking about this, says the relationship that Jesus has with the father is a little different than ours. But he's the same father for both of us. We're in the same family, the same inheritance for eternity. It's the relationship that you and I can have with Jesus. And the question is, that being the case, what does it mean? You know, yesterday in our, our men's group, it was really cool. Appreciate the study yet there. We were talking about and looking at the disciples and what their first, what Jesus asked them to do first. So often we believe that the first thing we're to do is when we follow Christ is to have to really believe everything and we, have to, and we have to ask Jesus Christ to come into our life as Lord and Savior. That's a step, but that's not the first step. Jesus asked his disciples time and time again. You can look at this, go back in Scripture. You know what the first thing he said to his disciples was when he encountered them the first time? He says, follow me. Follow me. You know, at that point, what the disciples believed? Some of them didn't really know what to believe. Some of them did not have a clue what to, th- they didn't have a really well thought out theology. They didn't have any really understanding of Scripture. They didn't know what they believed because as we look at the next three years, some of these guys took two and three years to get to the point of saying, I believe. Some of them in the upper room saying, oh, we get it now. Their first step, though, was to say, Jesus said, follow me. Seek after me. Go in my direction. Go with me. And as you go with me, hopefully what's going to happen, you'll believe. And then, most importantly, you'll have a relationship with me that'll change everything about you. It didn't mean that their lives became perfect. They were not without struggles. But they weren't lives that were lived without hope. Let me tell you this. The thing that, you know, where I see this the most lived out the most is when people die. I've done a lot of funerals over the years. Not a whole lot here. You guys are young, you know, and vibrant, and, you know, you don't even think about death, most of you. But the reality is, is that uh, when I was in Virginia for those uh, 13 years as a senior pastor, nine years as a youth pastor, and all those times there, I did a lot of funerals. And, and the one thing I can tell you that there's nothing that tells you about the, whole, the power of the resurrection than when you attend a funeral and the focus of the family. Because when I've been to funerals of people who have understand that their loved one is a follower of Jesus Christ, believes in Jesus Christ, has hope in Jesus Christ, when you go to those funerals, you know what they become? Celebrations. Yes, the people are sad. But they're not sad for their loved one who's gone before them because their loved one, they believe, and they believe, I think, with, all, with, with true purpose, is now with God in a better place. 
they do not grieve as people without hope. But then on the other side, I've done funerals on the other side for people that when I talk to them about their loved one, or and usually these are people I don't have a clue about, know anything about, and, and they can't say anything. They can't say anything about the person's faith or trust in God or anything like that. And they grieve, but they grieve for the person that's gone before them because they don't have a clue where they're at. The resurrection has the power to change all of that in our lives. We don't have to be people that grieve without hope. We don't have to be people who struggle in life without hope. Because that's the power of the resurrection. And it begins with a decision to follow. It, doesn't, it may mean you don't believe everything that even I've said today. That's not, a, that's not hugely important. The important thing is that you, have a, you want to go in the direction of Jesus Christ. I asked the band to come on out this morning. Oh, they're already out there this morning. Okay. Boy, you guys are quiet and stealthy. Okay. Totally forgot to ask you to come out, didn't I? Okay. Good thing you guys are on the ball and I'm not. Okay. But the reality is, the reality is this is that you know, it begins with the, with the thing of following, just going in the direction of Christ. That's what the disciples did. In the process of doing that, you begin to examine the evidence that's there. Jesus gives us all kind of evidence for the reality of who he is. And then it begins to change our heart and makes us open to what God wants to tell us and teach us. And then ultimately what the, the, the process will be to come to the place where we want to have a relationship with God. That, that we study God's word not so we can just have information. So we can know who God is and so we can trust and love him like we've never done it before. That's the process. And that's the power of the resurrection. So I'd ask you this morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. I want to ask a couple of questions, and you can respond to these this morning simply if, if you've never done this by raising your hand. If you're here this morning and you've never said, if you've never said to, to Jesus or never said to anyone that you want to follow Jesus, you may not believe everything, you may not even know, know a lot of information, but you came here this morning because you're, you're probably at a place, and maybe you're at a place where you're going like, you know, what I'm doing is not working. I need to go in a different direction. And so this morning as you're here, you'd like to take the first step towards God. That would be simply to say to, say to him, God, I want to follow you. I want to, want to begin to know more about Jesus. If you want to take that first step, would you just raise your hands this morning? Just Nobody's looking around. Everybody's eyes are closed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beyond that, some of you are here this morning and you've taken that step. You've been looking and examining Jesus. You've been following him for a while. But you're at a place where you, you really, the evidence has been there. You've looked at that as well. And you're going like, you know, I, I need to take a next step. And that next step may be having a relationship with God. And how you simply do that is by saying, God, I, the evidence I see allows me to trust you and my heart's been touched but now I want to have a relationship with you. I want to say to you, God, I, I want more than just coming to church on Sundays. I want to have a relationship that affects my life with you every day of the week. If you've never done that before and you want to do that today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. Hands several places. God, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible love. 
we would ask that you would just enable us this morning, those who raise their hands and each one of us is here, God, to realize that the resurrection is not just an event, but it's something that changes everything. And in doing so, God, you want us to take the first step with you, and it may mean that we don't know everything. That's not important. The important part of this, in this place of our life is to, is to have a direction towards you and take our next step toward you. And God, for those this morning that raised their hand about the first question about wanting to, to go in your direction, God, I would challenge those folks to, in a real sense, to begin to explore, to begin to read your word, God, and to, and to do some things like come to church on a regular basis so they can hear teaching, maybe be a part of a small group, do those things, God. And for those people who raised their hand that they'd already been exploring this for a while but want to make you Lord and Savior of their lives and have a relationship with you, God, that's beyond just the, the coming to church on Sunday thing, that they would um, make that known to someone and that they would follow in next steps with you, God, steps like baptism and other things that need to do and steps to grow and to know you, God, like we would with anybody who we want to have a relationship with. So God, it's this morning, God, each one of us, as we follow you, you and your plan, and we ask that you would just enable us, God, to uh, trust you fully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, let me just give you a couple of next steps. If you raised your hand for anything this morning or even want to know some next steps, out on the counter when you go out this morning on, the new, on this side of the, 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 um, of the new Welcome Center, there's some Bibles with, with some envelopes and stuff in there, and there's some information in there about next steps about how to start your you know, personal Bible study, how to uh, things about important next steps. And so you can do that. And also, if you'd like to talk to somebody about next steps as well, feel free to call our office and set up a time where we can sit down and talk or someone can talk with you. Myself or any other staff would love to sit down with you and talk with you about where you are in your relationship with God and what next steps you need to take and what to do about those. Our purpose at Great Oaks is to help you take your next step with God. And all of us have a next step. Thanks for being here today.